Good morning and welcome back to Coffee Books. We are starting off today at the bottom of page 51 in The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee, written by Tristan Stevenson. Let's dig in. The Emergence of Commercial Roasting Much of the coffee roasting that was taking place in Europe at the time was in the family home, in part because it wasn't considered a skilled practice and partly because it was an assurance of authenticity. Also, up until the end of the 18th century, roasters had pretty much all been small-scale pieces of kit, capable of processing no more than a few kilos of beans at a time. Home roasting was a slow means to an end, though, sometimes taking up to an hour, which yielded coffee that had a baked character, lacking in acidity and bite. But this was the era of innovation across all industries, from dairy farming and distilling to textiles and papermaking, with new technology successfully cutting back the required workforce and improving quality and throughput. Coffee roasting was no exception. The tentative first steps came in 1824, when Richard Evans patented the first large-scale commercial coffee roaster. Besides its size, the cylindrical roaster had a few added benefits over anything that had come before, including the facility to easily upend the entire roaster to remove the beans from the roasting chamber. Evans's design also designated a tube and examiner that could be used to take samples from the roaster during roasting, a crucial step forward in the pursuit of quality. In the mid-19th century, many inventors sought to provide a solution for the ongoing challenge of quick unloading and reloading, along with design modifications intended to help the roaster determine when the coffee was ready. One of the most innovative yet slightly over-engineered solutions has to be Dossé's scale roaster. Dating back to 1846, this French-designed piece worked on the principle that coffee loses around 15 to 20% of its weight, mostly through water loss during roasting. Beans were weighed before loading, then a target weight relative to the desired degree of roast and the country of origin of the beans was calculated. The roaster itself was suspended from a scale, balanced by a set of target weights on the reverse side, which caused the roaster to lift up during roasting once the calculated weight loss was achieved. It worked alright, but still required an arm to turn the drum. But as consumers placed greater faith in the convenience of pre-roasted coffee, bigger roasters were needed, and who better to supersize a roaster than America? James W. Carter of Boston patented the design for his pull-out roaster in 1846, a system that became the commercial roaster of choice for the following two decades. The Carter roaster was basically a manually turned sheet iron drum about the size of a large wine barrel that was fixed into a brick coal furnace. It had one major difference, though. Loading and unloading of the coffee was performed by ejecting the whole drum from the furnace and opening a door on the side. Before doing this, a bucket of water would be tossed into the roaster to kickstart the cooling. Then the roasted coffee was ejected and promptly raked across the floor filling the room with steam. In this way, the furnace itself maintained its heat and batches could be run through faster. Entire banks, or batteries, of Carter roasters were installed in the largest coffee roasting companies of the time, such as the Dwinell Wright Company of Boston.
The Emergence of the Modern Drum Roaster The undisputed father of the modern commercial coffee roaster is surely the London-born, but subsequently New York-based, Jabez Burns. The Burns roasters of the 1860s and 1870s sported two major improvements over previous designs, both of which can be identified in contemporary drum roasters. The first was a series of flanges placed on the inside of the roasting drum, essentially a modified Archimedes screw design. Once confusingly described by Burns as a double right and left auger, one within the other, firmly secured together and also to the shell or cylinder. The screw continuously directed the flow of coffee beans back and forward through the length of the drum, achieving even heat distribution throughout the bean mass and scoring bonus points for easy unloading of the roasted coffee without needing to remove the drum. Burns's second innovation was in the field of post-roast cooling, in which he was one of the pioneers. In an 1867 design, he pioneered a method of drawing cool air through a bed of roasted coffee, speeding up the cooling down process and no doubt improving the quality of the product. Modern drum roasters have cooling trays that work under the same principles. There were explorations into the different fuels during this time too. Early industrial roasters were heated with coal, coke, or peat which in many instances would have almost certainly contributed a smoky taste to the coffee, and in the taste of coal, possibly imparted carcinogens into the coffee. Natural gas was a welcome arrival when it began hitting European and American cities in the mid-19th century, since it was both smokeless and far easier to control. Most commercial roaster manufacturers switched over to manufacturing gas models from the 1880s onwards, but there were still coal-powered models being released well into the 20th century. Spherical roasters, like large iron globes, which aimed to better distribute heat, had a brief spell of popularity at the turn of the century, but these designs soon lost favor over the easier-to-operate drum. By the early part of the 20th century, the template for the modern roaster had been more or less set in stone, exemplified by the likes of Probat's Perfect Roaster, released in 1907 with its electrically powered drum on a horizontal axis, a gas heat source, and a cyclone setup to assist in cooling the roasted beans and removing chaff. Further advances, far-reaching in their effect but comparatively small in their alteration to the basic design, have been welcomed by roasteries through the 20th century. The development of the double drum and indirect firing are perhaps the two most significant in terms of improving coffee quality. Both of these technologies have increased the speed, consistency, and precision of roasting, the first by reducing scorching of the bean surface, and the second by reducing the temperature of the roast, while at the same time increasing the rate at which heat is applied. Control systems on modern roasters have reached a state of sophistication today that not only allows complete control over temperature, airflow, recirculation of air, drum rotation, cooling mechanisms, and afterburn, but also the computerized profiling of such things, completely tailored to the requirements of the bean. Today, it's German-made roasters that continue to lead the way in drum roasting with Probat, which took over Jabez Burns in 1998 in assuming the role of the most highly revered name in coffee roasting circles, a hard-earned status that awards the company a large chunk of the specialty coffee pie. 
two Turkish roasters, Topur and Garanti, both founded in the 1950s, continue to produce good quality machines as well as Dutch roaster manufacturer Geissen. Exciting things are coming out of America, too. From well-respected names of Diedrich and Loring, the former of which manufactures beautiful traditional-style drums, and the latter, which has become well-known for its smart roast automated system. Thank you for listening. We'll end here today at the bottom of page 54, and continue again next morning. Until then, good day and good coffee, friends. <laughs>